0: Oh, and welcome to Horror Cult Trash Show, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. Welcome to the first episode since Angela Bassett did the thing. <laughs> Cultural reset, milestone in gay history. And <laughs> confusing to anyone who doesn't know what oh, we're talking about. Oh, if you don't about. know what we're talking about, then you've been living under a rock for the last few days. <laughs> Absolutely no way that you don't know that Angela Bassett did the thing. Um, but yes, as much as Angela Bassett did do the thing, we are not talking about Angela Bassett today. It's time for our latest original versus remake episode. And uh this month this is a women in horror special. Nice. Two films, original and remake, directed yes. by a woman. Um, You don't fucking get that often, do you? No, you don't. Uh, This franchise is entirely directed by women, as long as you don't count Cheerleader Massacre 1 and 2, which I don't think anyone does, apart from IMDb. Uh, But yes, we are, of course, talking about Slumber Party Massacre. Yes. First of all, probably worth mentioning, the remake, uh, the director does want it known as a reimagining rather than a remake, she said in many interviews and such. What's interesting to me is how the remake kind of feels like a remake, a sequel, and another sequel. It's it's really strange. It's kind of it's kind of like how Evil Dead Two remade the first film within the opening scene. Yeah, and then followed on after. It's kind of like that. Uh, but we'll get to that, obviously. I would describe it yeah. as like. Potentially just like an
1: ode or
0: an homage yeah. to Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah, because I mean, it pays so much to all three films. Mm. Not even just not just the first one. No. you know. Um, get onto the poll results. The original one was seventy five percent of the votes, and the remake got twenty five percent. And uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's much in it. Yeah, I'm. I'm
0: not even sure. I'm gonna let this episode decide which one I prefer because it's very close. Oh, we can decide at the end. Yes. Starting today's episode, we have The Slumber Party Massacre 1982, directed by Amy Holden-Jones, who directed Love Letters, Made to Order, and The Rich Man's Wife. She's also the writer of The Resident, Indecent Proposal, Beethoven, Black Box, The Relic, The Getaway, Mystic Pizza, and more. Yeah, um, I'm not
1: familiar, well obviously I'm familiar with Beethoven and Indecent Proposal, but I... I
0: haven't seen any of her other River films. I probably missed it a piece of it for Christmas. You did? I haven't watched that yet. I had The Relic on DVD when I was younger for the longest time. and never watched it. Mm-hmm. This Was was this her only horror? The Relic is a horror film. Is it an actual horror yeah. film?
1: Okay.
0: Um, what's really interesting, and we've already mentioned the fact that these are both directed by women, and the franchise is directed by women, it's a slasher franchise directed by women, made at a time where... The press were obsessed with saying how misogynistic the slasher subgenre was. Yeah. Uh, and obviously putting a woman behind a camera. Now, of course, this is produced by Roger Corman. We have spoken previously on an original versus remake about a Roger Corman film directed by a woman. And this definitely goes a lot better than that film. Obviously, I'm referring to Humanoids from the Deep. Um, where it was clear Roger Corman had more involvement than the female director. Here, I feel like this is very much, and all, all of these films, the women are in charge. Um, yeah, I think what's most important
1: is the films written by a woman.
0: Yeah, so I was just going to say, well, first of all, I have some trivia about Amy Holden Jones and about this entire situation about, you know, the being directed by women and the slasher franchise, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, she's not very sympathetic to people who complain that she's a sellout to her gender as a woman who produced an exploitation flick with a lot of naked girls in it. She said that's what Roger Corman, the producer, wanted, and that's how it's done. Ah, uh, you give the studio what they want. Nobody complains that Scorsese, Jonathan Demi, and Ron Howard made exploitation pictures, but when a woman tries, she gets called a hypocrite and a turncoat, and that's BS. Ah, uh, it should be noted that Amy Amy Holden Jones as parallel has as had a very successful career uh, producing such hits as Mystic Pizza and The Getaway. Jones has also pointed out that despite the film being slammed for its violence against women, most of the women are actually killed off-screen whilst the guys get the bloody on-screen deaths. Uh, yeah, and absolutely, the fact that she's being called a hypocrite because she's got nudity in her film, that is absolutely ridiculous when the entire film is a satire on slasher films anyway. Yes... Yes. Um,
1: It's a little more complicated than that, I think, because the film was written uh, by Rita Mae Brown as a full on comedy parody of slasher films. Then it got into the hands of Roger Corman, who liked the script, but decided to do it as a straight up slasher film. So the comedy elements are still kind of there, but not to the degree that Rita Mae Brown had wanted them to be. Mm. And I think, ultimately, that's what the reimagining is trying to do. Yeah, And I say that point now, and, and it'll be clearer by the end of the episode why I say that. But, you know, in the hands of Roger Corman, it became a straightforward slasher, with some of the elements, and I, I'm hopeful that it's Amy Holden Jones that really wanted to keep those, yeah, the elements of the the feminist context, the uh you know subtext, the comedy elements, the funnier parts of the script. Uh, you know I feel like Roger Corman wanted a straight up slasher film with nudity, and it's a good you know it's a it's a good premise for that, and. They played it straight. Um, Amy Holden Jones, I believe, was married to a
0: director and she. Did she um, turned
1: down a chance to edit E.T.? Um,
0: maybe. I mean, she was a film editor. Yeah. Um, and she wanted to direct this film and asked Francis Dole, uh, a writer and story editor associated with Roger Corman, for advice. Dole gave Jones a number of scripts. Uh, Joan chose the script that would become Slumber Party Massacre, then called Don't Open the Door. And started to film the first three scenes. Her husband, it was cinematographer Michael Chapman, I see. and he acquired equipment and film and hired actors from the University of California, uh, and they shot the scenes at their house over a weekend for one thousand dollars. And then she showed it to Roger Corman, who agreed to finance the film. I mean, about the comedic elements, I you know what I feel like so many of them are still in here, but because that little bit of directions given by Roger Corman to play it straight it could come across as slasher stereotypes just being in there. It's easy to miss. It's easy to miss. But I kind of took all the little stereotypes and the foreboding and things like that. I thought those were parts of the satire. Um. Yes. Ye- I assumed they were in the screenplay originally. Yeah. And I think a knowledge-
1: knowledgeable audience knows that mm. and can take a lot more. But it does also play out as a straight up slasher film. Really, yeah. in terms of the nudity and in terms of the violence, which, you know, I can imagine Roger Corman said, well, as long as you've got your nudity and as long as you've got your quota of violence, then, you know, crack on, props yeah. to you, you know, but I need those. Yeah. Um I do think that, and you know, as Rita Mae Brown has said, you know, I do think that the original intention for the movie, Don't Open the Door... Was a straight up comedy, mm-hmm. which I think the reimagining is, is a straight up comedy. Yes, it, it is. Yeah, really. Yeah, but there's there's some you know quite disturbing parts of you know the film that is played straight, mm. and I, I and I think it benefits from that. Yeah. Actually, I, I think, but you know, a knowing audience gets the the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm. But an unknowing, because it was slated at the time as just another slasher film. Yeah. Um, an unknowing audience just sees it as, you know, TNA and blood and guts mm-hmm. without much, you know, meat on the bones.
0: Yeah. Uh, as I said, written by Rita Mae Brown, who wrote The Long Hot Summer, My Two Loves, I Love Liberty, Me and Ruby Fruit. Rich Men, Single Women, Tales from the Crypt, The Woman Who Loved Elvis, Mary Pickford, A Life on Film, and an episode of The Wonderful World of Disney.
1: Yeah, quite a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I was about to say promiscuous. It's certainly not promiscuous. It's not the word I'm looking for. (laughs) Prolific. Prolific. (laughs) Prolific novelist as well. She's written a lot
0: of books. Um, The budget was $220,000. So, Roger Corman keeping it low as always. And the box office, it made $3.6 million.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Got two sequels. Yeah. And and whatever the cheerleader ones are. Yeah. You know. So, it it did what it needed to do. Mm -hmm. It made money at the box office.
0: And by all accounts, the test screenings went great. Um, She, uh, Amy Holden Jones recalls, that uh, the audience went ape from the very beginning. They were screaming and laughing. There were people behind her making drilling noises and talking back to the screen. Uh, She left the cinema and approached Roger Corman after, who was uh, listening in the lobby, and said, my God, Roger, what did we do? And he replied, we just made the best preview in New World History.
1: Uh, Yeah, because, I mean, the reviews and, you know, the marketing sold it as... A slasher, You know, part yeah. of the slasher boom You know, it gave people what they wanted to see And I quite like that, you know Because you know I love a layer to a film mm-hmm. That there are layers there yeah. That we can pick out But it also does play as a fun straight up slasher mm-hmm. film If that's what you're into
0: Yeah, yeah I think some of the extra elements in there uh, I've actually aged better when watching it from a modern audience because back then, like you said, you know people didn't think about it; just thought it was straight up um, slasher film. Nowadays, you know, people have access to the internet and they know the real intentions, and a lot of it is stuff that you'd expect to see in a slasher film these days, which is I think why it it you know works so well having a remake because it fixed some of the things that they couldn't quite go with back then, and yeah. I I feel like it's ahead of its time as well. Yeah. Saying. Oh, absolutely. I think if it
1: came out, you know, post Scream, mm. it would fit in perfectly. Yeah. It it really would. Um, cuz it it's that sort of wink wink nudge nudge mm-hmm. self, you know, referential that knowingness to it that came out after Scream and, yeah. and started with it didn't start with Scream, obviously, because you had films like this, and there were other films that oh, friend, parodied, part six, you know. Yeah, that parodied the slasher genre. Um, but this I feel has a more of a scream kind of sensibility yeah. to it.
0: So, getting on to our first feature presentation.
1: Yes. A slumber party.
0: Oh your like tits are getting, You're got... getting Love it too. Do you think I'm getting better? But be on the lookout for an uninvited guest. Ah! Ah! The, the Slumber Party Massacre. Close your eyes for a second and sleep forever.
1: I'm not gonna eat the dead guy's pizza! I feel better already. Really, I do. The Slumber Party Massacre. Mm -hmm. Now, I only realised whilst doing our research and watching the films, it's THE Slumber Party Massacre. And then the remake is just Slumber Party Massacre. I didn't realise... I I never called it THE Slumber Party Massacre. Um, But yes, we're introduced to Trish Devereaux, an 18-year-old high school senior who decides to throw a slumber party while her parents are away for the weekend. And their neighbour... Mr. Contant is given the job of checking in on the girls during the night. We're introduced to her as she awakes to the sound of her radio and gets dressed shortly before going to school. Now, uh, obviously from the start, we're, we know what we're getting. The sound of the radio is a scream from a contestant uh-huh. winning a T-shirt. <laughs> and you can hear her disappointment in yeah. the background as well, you know? It's funny. We get a moment where Trish is staring at herself in the mirror, topless. Uh-huh. In what we assume is meant to be a reflective moment. But, of course, because we know about the slasher genre, it's for some easy T&A. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it, it it's from the get-go, we see the parodies there. Yeah, Because as... And I, I mean... That's two gay guys, you know, who have seen so many of these films. They sit there they're like, why do we have to see her staring in yeah. the mirror with her top off? <laughs> you know, and it's, and she's trying to have this reflective mm-hmm. moment. We're like, What's she even reflecting on? We don't know this character. <laughs> you know, why does she have to be just her knickers for us? <laughs> you know, and I, I genuinely think that that's the intention. Oh yeah. Is it to be silly? Is mm-hmm. it to be a silly moment? because it's kind of like well i'm giving roger what he wants but also playing on the fact that you know these audiences are not going to really care mm-hmm. what it's just they're just there you yeah. know uh the news on the radio tells us about an escaped mass murderer ooh um, and we're introduced to him quite quickly, aren't we, we are, actually? So. Uh, the escaped mass murderer himself is Russ Thorne, with a preference for power drills. Uh, he kills a telephone repair woman at the school
0: and steals her van. Yeah, after she's chatted up by some 40-year-old schoolboys. Yes. But she's not interested in dating a younger guy.
1: <laughs> no, in the grand tradition of eighty slasher films, the teenagers aren't quite teenagers. Uh-oh. Uh, she's, yeah, the poor lady, she's objectified and flirted with by a couple of high school bros, and uh, one of them says to her, you know what they say about younger men? Try it, you'll like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it, again, it's a funny image of her in the back of the van, screaming for help, I and thought are just was... walking off at the forefront, so yeah. pleased with themselves,
0: because they'd flirted with this woman. I thought this was very scream too. Um, Randy's death Oh, yeah. I, I yes, feel like course. that was taken directly from this.
1: Yeah. Uh, Trish meets up with her friends Kim, Jackie, and Diane, and the girls on the basketball team. Uh, a new girl has joined the team, and her name's Valerie Bates. And she's invited by Trish to her slumber party, but Valerie refuses after hearing Diane talking cruelly about her. So, this is the scene that kind of got people's backs up. Mm -hmm. Um, They play basketball and they go into the locker room and have showers. And the camera lingers. Yeah. A lot. On, you know, um, it's a bit like the beginning of Carrie, actually. It is is a bit like the beginning of Carrie. You
0: know, the scene I've got no backlash.
1: Yeah. Um, There's close-ups of bare buttocks. Uh, There's also locker room talk about sexy footballers and do they prefer basketball Mm -hmm. players or football players? And uh, I think the gender reversal, and it it happens throughout the film of women actually objectifying men as well. I think that's quite refreshing. It is. And I I think it's an interesting part of the character development. I mean, the film's only 72 minutes long. It's not the longest film, but you do get a, a sort of sense of who the characters are. Mm -hmm. And it's it's conversations like this that you wouldn't necessarily get from women in a slasher film. No. This, you know, they are sexual. They do talk sex a lot. They're not shy about it. They're not embarrassed by it. And they're not punished by it and that happens, you know, later in the film as well. But I think it's interesting. Mm. Um the, the fact that the, you know, the camera lingers and pans over their sort of undressed bodies. Um I think is again like the the scene with Trish in the mirror. I think it's it's sort of pandering to an audience and uh, it's sort of giving Roger Corman what he wanted. Um but also, there's a moment where Trish and Valerie kind of look at each other whilst they're in the shower. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you noticed. and I don't know if I'm thinking too much into it. But I felt like there was maybe a, a kind of attraction there. Maybe. I didn't notice that myself. But... There is. And that's when Trish asks Valerie to join them. So Rita Mae Brown is a openly gay woman. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the, the sort of frequent female nudity throughout the whole of the film could be seen as a parody of the nudity so prevalent through the slasher genre, but, and I don't know if I'm thinking too much of this, could we shockingly be looking at TNA not intended for a male audience. Essentially. Now, obviously, I, I've i never read the original screenplay. I don't know. But, I mean, is it beyond belief that maybe this, this is a film that isn't intended for a male audience 18 to 29?
0: Mm, potentially. You
1: know? I, I think that's interesting. And maybe as two gay men, you know, maybe we see the film differently. Yeah. Um, I'd like to get a woman's perspective, actually, of the film. There was a very interesting write-up on uh, com that I read. Uh, forgive me, I, d- I didn't write down the name of the author, but it was very interesting from a sort of female perspective mm-hmm. of the film. Um, and she mentions, you know, the, the idea that the nudity is a, a sort of parody. You know, it, it's kind of, it's almost, you know ridiculous Mm -hmm. in the the sort of panning and the soft that soft filter that drag race season one filter and you know and it's a a film like Carrie comes to mind and obviously you know with Carrie that that locker room scene ends you know quite disturbingly yeah um but I I I do think it could be a parody of, of that it's interesting
0: yeah, I mean, Amy Holden-Jones um, points out that the Shadow Secrets was a requirement from Roger Corman as she shot it by the numbers to tick the boxes. Um, Brooke Stevens, oh, by the way, star of a film that we're going to be showing at GASP, Brooke yes. Stevens, um, who is in this, uh, she talked about doing the nude scenes in this and other films and said, Early in my career, nudity was a simple rule, what was expected of us. We just went along with it because we wanted to work. I've never been shy about nudity, Uh, she was a nude model before she started acting. Good thing too, because my willingness to undress landed me a lot of good roles and helped me to get better noticed by fans. However, I was never comfortable doing explicit love scenes with a guy, so I tended to turn down those kind of parts. In almost every case, the directors have been very good about asking non-essential personnel to leave the set and we were treated respectfully. But then, there you are, totally naked upon a big screen, being watched by hundreds of people. I'm quite relieved that I've uh, reached such an age where I'm no longer asked to do this and it's left to the younger actresses. Okay. So it... it, it Of course it was a, a requirement. But I, I do
1: wonder how much was in the original screenplay. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'd, I'd like to think when she mentions about, you know, the professionalism on sets and that, that Slumber Party Massacre was one of those films, especially with it being directed by a woman. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, in the 80s... And, and you know, it's crazy that this is 1982, this film... So the slasher boom had only been going two years, yeah. By this point, and it had already got to that point where, you know, this was this had enough to parody when it comes to the nudity and you know what's expected of women within horror films. Uh, two years only two years after it started, because I mean you yeah. think of the amount of slasher films that are released within that amount of time, so many. Oh, so many. Yeah, and they so all many. and they all met those requirements that this film was laughing at.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I'm not being
1: funny, even something like Halloween, which is lauded as a classic, you know, 1978, four years previous. Still nudity in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it probably is sort of written in by the producer that it has to be a certain amount of nudity and such. Yeah. Russ Thorne watches the girls leave school from the van and a girl named Linda Brink-Stevens goes back inside the school to retrieve a book for a test. Only to be locked inside and attacked by Thorn, who damages her arm. She eventually hides in the shower room, but the killer finds out where she is due. due uh, excuse me, where she is? Due... I feel like I'm saying it like Rihanna device. <laughs> Everyone just be like, it's Ariana stuck DeBose. in my head. She eventually hides in the shower Brooke room. Stevens. Did but the, the killer finds out where she is due to her blood loss and shortly kills her before escaping to the van. Russ Fawn, my king. In my head, I felt like I was talking saying it like she does. Oh, if anyone, it's, yeah,
0: it's stuck. It's stuck there. How ridiculous. Did you get um, down there uh, shortly after this? The jump, the John Minor jump scare. The what? Jump scare? John Minor. Uh yeah, see we get a series of
1: uh many fake house jump scares. Is absolutely intentional. This is definitely comedy. This is definitely comedy. Firstly, we get Diane and her boyfriend, John John Minor. Minor. Yeah. Uh where she manages to flip him over and onto the ground whilst walking home from school. Uh,
0: John Minor, what are you doing trying to scare me like that?
1: <laughs> Do you know what I think's really cool? Is that these the women in this film are seen as athletic. Yeah. There's no, there's no question. They're part mm-hmm. of the basketball team. You know, they, they do well. Mm-hmm. Um, Diane flips her boyfriend over with absolutely no effort whatsoever. You know, these are seen as strong women. Yeah, You know, I think, I think that is strong, athletic, capable women. You know, the, the Brink Stevens character goes back to get her book because she's an intelligent young woman uh-huh. and wants to do well on her tasks. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the complete opposite to PJ Souls mm-hmm. in, you know, Halloween. And it is, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Well, mean, like, who needs books?
0: We're going to stop this coming for
1: Halloween. No, um, no. One of the greatest no. films no. ever made. Yeah, no, of course <laughs> it is. Of course it is. And it's fantastic. But it's rife for parody. Yeah. Because it did kind of set, you know, the the slasher boom, yes, was 1980 to, what, 1982, three, well, throughout the 80s. The entire 80s. Well, Nightmare on Elm Street came along. It, it's, it's difficult, but it kind of really started in 1980. Yeah. But... Halloween was really the forebearer
0: for the whole thing, and Texas Chainsaw, but Halloween more than anything else. Funny enough, the one that this actually, this and its remake, funny enough, should be compared to the most, is probably Black Christmas. Because when you think about it, Black Christmas is a predominantly female slasher film. They're being attacked by a man. The only sort of male characters, apart from um, the girl's dad, are the boyfriends. Mm. I I think Black Christmas is... Well, I think this is more of a comedic version of Black Christmas, if you really look into it. Ye- and with the remake, yes. the remake, especially with the latest Black Christmas remake. Now, you, if you've listened to our Black Christmas episode, you'll know we warmed to it a bit uh, upon re-watching it for the podcast. The remake of Slumber Party Massacre absolutely does what the Black Christmas remake tried to do, but more successfully. Yes.
1: No, I agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think Halloween really set forth a lot of... It did. ...the slasher film stereotypes. hmm And... Uh, I don't mean I hate it. But I mean... I love Yeah, but I, I mean, yeah, but I mean
0: the setup and everything. And, yeah. you know... Um, the fact that it is it, this film, again is you know mostly women, and I, f- I feel like it's a lot more similar to to Black Christmas. Mm.
1: Um, we get another fake out with Coach Jana. Is it Jana? I think it's Jana, isn't it? I think so. Um, Coach Jana, who uh, from the basketball team, who's the uh, firstly almost killed with a drill as she arrives home. Yes. So she's. About to open her front door. You can hear noises. And a drill just goes straight through her front door. And turns out it's, I think, her landlady or or something. And she goes, uh, oh, I just drilled your peephole for you. And then goes, just goes. Yeah. Uh, Number one, that's not how peepholes work. (laughs) That's how peeping Toms work. (laughs) Because the, like... She's just drilled a hole through the door. Yeah. Yeah. So this is absolutely part of the parody. Elements. So anyone on the outside can just look in. Mm-hmm. That's not how people holes are meant to work. She's meant to insert something into the hole to make sure that she can see out, but no one can see in. Uh-huh. <laughs> More of a glory hole than anything else. She also gets a little jump scare from her cat later as well. But within the whole sort of scene... Uh, Trish gets a jump scare from Mr. Content, uh, who was just checking out her home to make sure it was safe <laughs> when she was there. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a parody. Definitely. Uh, that evening, the party begins uh, as they smoke marijuana and talk about boys. Yeah. Um, when Jackie arrives, <laughs> she knocks at the door and she says, we're here for the orgy. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie is maybe my favorite character, mm-hmm. maybe, um, because she's the, she's the, fur- the funniest one. She's she's the uh, yeah she's the one that cracks me up. Um, she's the Margot Kidder. She is yes. Uh, Valerie lives next door and is babysitting her younger sister Courtney, while their recently divorced mother is away for the weekend with a new boyfriend. Courtney tells Valerie she's studying for biology exam. But she's actually enjoying the playgirl centerfold from the magazine she stole from Valerie. And again, this is two girls. They talk about sexuality. They're objectifying men with absolutely no judgment from the film itself. And spoiler alert, they both survive.
0: Courtney is hilarious. I feel like she is probably the most evident parody element in this film. The fact that, again, you know, talking about Older actors playing teenagers. This actress looks like she's in her late 20s. And no. the character's played like she's fucking 12. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, but it's it's refreshing to see that, they,
1: you know, they talk about sexuality. Mm-hmm. The idea is that neither of them are virgins, necessarily. And uh, they're not punished for it by the end. They're not punished yeah. no. for daring to be sexual.
0: There's a great line of dialogue as well. they are talking about another character. And I think she's got a big mouth. And uh, one of the other characters says, hey, it's not how big your mouth is. It's what's in it that counts. <laughs> Two boys
1: from the school named Jeff and Neil arrive and spy on the girls undressing. And uh, this is another intre- interesting part because this is usually it, it. It's it is played for laughs. It is played for laughs. But when you really look at the context of the film... Um, the fact that they're just there watching the girls undress at mm-hmm. the window, you know, it's quite disturbing. Yeah. Re- really. But so many of his films play this Oh, film- by I this mean, point,
0: it's been so normalised.
1: Speaking of Black Christmas, Black Christmas is one of my favourite horror films. One of the films I fucking hate is Porky's. Mm. I absolutely detest Porky's. I think it's awful. I hate it. Same director, Bob Clark, as Black Christmas. I
0: was going to say, it's crazy how, you know, you look at some of the teen sex comedies where this is often done for laughs, and I've not seen Porky's, but I can imagine it's very much a lot of this played for laughs, um, this sort of thing. But also, if you look at, you know, if you compare that to Black Christmas, where a man is watching these women constantly, it's amazing how a change of tone and soundtrack can change how you actually look at the at the reality of a man watching women from a window. Yeah. And and that, and that's the
1: thing. It's kind of, and I think speaking on the objectification of women and the idea of consent. Yeah. So these, the the, the women aren't consenting to the men watching them and dress. No one's invited them to the party. Nobody knows they're outside looking through the window. No. You know they're creeps. Yeah. But so many of these films play that kind of thing for laughs, and it's seen as okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think including that, and you know, it, again, it's probably for Roger Corman. But Roger Corman wanting that in the film yeah. and thinking that's okay mm-hmm. makes him just as bad as the characters in the film. Oh, definitely. So the the, the guys at home getting their kicks. Mm-hmm. From watching, you know, this scene are just as bad as the guys at the window. And I th- I think the reimagining mm-hmm. does this clearer. Yeah, yeah we'll discuss yeah. that. Um, but I, I think it's an in- it's very interesting. And I think a big theme of the film, looking at it from, you know, the, the feminist, because mm. I think it's a feminist slash oh, yeah. film, from the feminist perspective... Is that a lot of the nudity is a comment on men feeling like they own women's bodies.
0: Yeah. You know? Which um, I also think it's great that these characters, the male ones, are the ones, as I mentioned earlier, that get the on-screen nasty deaths. Yeah. And they're, well. puni- they're punished for yeah, it. they're absolutely punished for they it. They
1: are punished because their sexuality, them expressing their sexuality, mm-hmm. which is annoying women and watching women without their permission, that kind of sexuality is, you know, the opposite of the girl's sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 you know, they talk about their sexuality, they own their sexuality, but it's not fucking creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. there's no other way of saying it. It's not creepy, you know, and... I I yeah I think that's uh, a really interesting part of the film. Yeah. Uh Thorn attacks and kills Mr. Contant with his power drill. Now I think this is revenge for the poor snails that Mr. Contant had been going around slicing in half yes. prior to his death. Uh Diane talks to John Miner on the telephone as the girls <laughs> listening in. And Diane says, "I love it too. You think I'm getting better?" <laughs> As the girls break out in laughter, Diane says, I think our First Amendment's been violated. <laughs> Trish says, not the word I would have chosen. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, they're still immature, you know, yeah. they're, they're immature uh, high school girls. And uh, it's just a little more, you know... Again, like I said, the film's 72 minutes long. We need to get as much development as possible so mm-hmm. we care. And I, I think humour is a good way of getting, you know, people getting um, the characters, uh, getting on side with the yeah. characters. Uh, Courtney begs Valerie to go to the party, but Valerie protests. Diane begins to make out with John in the car when he comes to visit. And after she gets out to ask Trisha's permission to go with him, she comes back to find him decapitated. Diane tries to flee but is murdered also. Um, I love that cut from John's missing head to the blender full of strawberry daiquiri. Yeah. I mean, what a great visual gag.
0: There's actually some nudity required from Gina Marie, who plays Diane. Mm. Um during a scene where she'd been making out with uh, John Minor in the car, and he starts fondling her. Um, She completely refused to, though, and frustrated in not having the time to hire a body double, Amy Holden-Jones offered to pay any of the other actresses extra money if they would let her film a close-up of their bare breasts whilst the actor rubbed it. Michelle Michael, who had no issue with nudity, immediately volunteered, uh, and even though Marie avoided Having to be naked She said later that her friends and family thought she did After seeing the film which caused some awkward conversations um, I mean Go Michelle and Michael get yourself an extra payday Yeah <laughs> absolutely You know we,
1: we said it time and time again On this podcast I would never ever Shame any actress For doing nudity In a film I, I think it's great you know yeah. Hell We stand, Linnea Quigley Mm -hmm. so much for doing that you know that's what makes her such a wonderful actress and screen queen you know her lack of inhibitions Mm -hmm. when it comes to that sort of thing i think it's fantastic yeah um i don't think any actress should ever feel forced to do it no at all and if it's not what they signed up for I think they have full rights to turn around and say, and actors as well. Mm-hmm. I think if it's not what they signed up for, if it wasn't in the contract, if it wasn't in the script that they signed up for, they should never be forced to do that. No. But, you know, good on you. You get your extra paycheck. Yeah, and, you know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with myself. <laughs> no, I have somebody said it, but, yeah, you can agree with me as well. Yeah, you are the said <laughs> it. Uh, while the girls are on the phone with their coach, uh, Mrs. Janet again, what were they asking? I couldn't really understand. Oh, it was they were
0: asking about the netball game, weren't they, or something
1: like a basketball game? Yeah, they, like a famous basketball or something. Yeah, like they're asking for the
0: results for their game. There's some. Sort oh, of how would they there. not know?
1: Yeah. Okay, uh, the pizza guy shows up, and uh, his eyes have been drilled out. Um. F- the guys, what's his name, Jeff and, is it Jeff and Neil? Mm-hmm. And uh, when the pizza guy, when there's a knock at the door, they say, uh, what's the damage? And uh, <laughs> uh, Thorne says, six so far. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very, very funny in joke. Uh, Coach Janet hears the girls screaming and calls Valerie to check on them and decides to drive over to the house to check on them herself. Um, I thought hilarious when she calls Valerie and Valerie was like, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that. <laughs> I I just think it's so refreshing to have Valerie, a, you know, young woman in a slasher film, mm-hmm. <laughs> turn around and say, no, do you know what? I don't actually fancy investigating a suspicious no. noise. I don't fancy it. I'm going to stay here instead. Mm-hmm. I, did. I, did. And I I I know. I. feel like that's a stereotype. Yeah. I, I mean, if it's not, it's still well done. But I feel like that's a stereotype on the, the sort of slasher genre. And um, the girls try calling the police, but Thorn cuts the phone line before they are connected. The teens arm themselves with knives, and Jeff and Neil try to run for help, but are gaurily killed by Thorn. And again, you know, like Gary said earlier, it's interesting to note that despite the film being saddled with the why are these films so violent towards women criticism that all the slashes faced? It's in fact, the men that get the more graphic death yeah. scenes. Uh, Jackie decides to not let good pizza go to waste in the most overtly comical <laughs> scene of the film. I feel um, hilarious dialogue when uh, they say uh, he's so cold and Jackie says, is the pizza? <laughs> <laughs> And she eats the pizza off his cold, dead body and uh, says, I feel better already. (laughs) Really, I do. (laughs) Love it. What a queen. Sadly, Russ has now gained entry to the house and murders Jackie and chases Kim and Trish upstairs. Courtney and Valerie go over to the house but find the house dark, unaware of the horror that has happened. Trish and Kim have barricaded themselves in Trish's bedroom. They hear Valerie and they ignore her thinking she may be the killer's friend um I think that's a weird one it wasn't really um I think it's interesting to to t- t- feel like Valerie is an outcast mm-hmm. in many ways and when Diane was being bitchy about her earlier she was being bitchy because Valerie was too perfect yeah. You know, and it's like, oh God, you know, what do people need to do to, mm-hmm. to make friends? She's new in town. Um I think, what did Diane say? Oh, well, she just drinks her milk. Something like, she drinks mm. her milk. You know, she's too good at basketball. She's too pretty. Um She's so pretty that she looks like she tries at it. You know, mm-hmm. her hair's always perfect. And uh, I think it's that kind of, I feel like, If the film was written by a man, Valerie would have been an outcast character because she was, you know, bookish Mm -hmm. or unattractive. Whereas I think, uh, you know, this is the case in real life. And, you know, it's not it's kind of maybe relatable for a lot of women mm-hmm. is that they kind of get punished for being too good. Yeah. Too, too beautiful, you know? And I think as a a, a woman writing the film, I think it means a little more, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, Trish and Kim, they've barricaded themselves in the bedroom and, uh, Vaughn unexpectedly enters the bedroom through a window and disarms Kim, stabbing her with her own knife and causing Trish to flee and hide. Courtney and Valerie enter Trish's house again and find Kim dead in the refrigerator. This is an iconic scene. This is iconic. This is iconic. And it's another quite overtly comical scene. Courtney, she's uh, not old enough. She's under 21, but she wants a beer from the fridge and Valerie won't let her. She opens the fridge, but she's not looking in the fridge. And Kim's body's in there. Starts to fall out. She closes the door. Mm -hmm. Opens it again. You know, Kim's body's about to fall out. She closes it again. Yeah. And then they actually find the body inside (laughs) when she opens it fully. Um, Yeah, this is... uh, My history of the film is this always seemed to be in the marketing. Mm -hmm. This scene was the standout within the marketing um so I think it was I, I don't know uh, watching the film, it's comical, it's funny, yeah, but I don't know if I don't think the marketing really made it look comical. I think in the context of the rest of the film mm-hmm. but um uh, yeah, it's a bit like the um takes a chainsaw massacre and she jumps out the front. yes, yeah. <laughs> uh Thorn attacks them and Valerie escapes to the basement while Courtney hides under the couch. Coach Janna arrives and beats Thorne with a fireplace poker. Trish manages to stab Thorn with a butcher knife, but it barely slows him down, and he kills Coach Jana. Russ Thorne then finally speaks, and I think this is the really the most interesting dialogue of the film.
0: Yeah, I mean, slightly before that as well, mm. um, the scene where um, he covers himself with a rug on the floor, mm. I feel like that's one of the more... Um, one of the scenes played straight a little more, mm. considering it's actually quite creepy in the way that he does that. Yeah. Like there's no reasoning behind it, but yeah, just thought it was an interesting thing. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: And then he sort of jumps out at Coach Jenna, doesn't yeah. he? Um, Thorne says to Trish, uh, and I'm not going to do an impression, you're pretty. All of you are very pretty. I love you. It takes a lot of love for a person to do this. You know you want it. You'll like it. Yes. And then Trish responds, no, please, I don't even know you. And I think what's really interesting is this is the kind of speech that's quite reminiscent of the things victims of sexual harassment and assault Mm -hmm. have heard. Yeah. It's the kind of dialogue that I personally believe could only be written by a female writer. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you're not looking for it, then it's just a throwaway thing. Really, it's not throwaway. It's creepy, but the the, the sort of the context doesn't. It, it's not quite apparent. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. But when you really think about it, you're like, oh, that's really creepy. When you you think this is a female writer. You know, writing these words and the, the idea is that this, yeah, this is probably, mm-hmm. you know, reminiscent of the kind of speech that victims, real life victims of sexual harassment and assault have heard.
0: Yeah. You know, that it gives it that extra layer. Mm-hmm. Which is
1: super duper creepy.
0: Yeah, which I think also brings us to a good time to bring up the one thing we actually haven't brought up yet. Um the fact that the drill in this film is symbolic. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Like, even if you just got to look at the poster for the film, um, the shot where, I can't remember which character it was, um, where she's by, I think I believe she's by a tree, and you see between his legs and you see the drill hanging down. Yeah. It's absolutely meant to be his cock. Yeah, yeah.
1: Tip- typically in slasher films, the, the weapons that the male murderers use to kill women can be seen as a phallic symbol. Machetes, knives. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Slumber Party Massacre, it's way more over. It's yeah. way more over the top. The spawn is—it's this giant, you know. A, a, I don't know how it keeps its power for so long. I know, yeah. But it's this giant power drill, and I think that's part of the humor yeah. of the script. Yeah. Um, he's consistently holding it at wa- waist uh, waist height. Yeah. You know, ver- very much so. And interesting, Valerie chases Thorn with a machete out of the back door mm-hmm. and severs both his drill bit and his left hand in the process before he falls into the swimming pool. Yeah. So this is Valerie using one phallic symbol, mm-hmm. the machete, yeah. to cut off, mm-hmm. you know, effectively, Thorne's phallic symbol yeah you know it's kind of like well you think yours is you know all that great check out mine Mm -hmm. and you know and that's kind of his power gone now yeah in in many ways and as the girls embrace thorn arises and because it's a slasher film they have to come back for one last scare. and he attacks the girls before getting impaled onto the machete by valerie killing him during the aftermath, Valerie and Trish break down into tears upon killing Thorn, and Courtney looks on in a state of shock
0: as police sirens are heard in the
1: distance.
0: An amazing scene as well, where Trish comes running out like an absolute <laughs> queen of her hair flying everywhere, lightning, lighting her up.
1: Yeah, and it's, Screaming. it's a bit of slow-mo as well. Not full slow-mo, but yeah, it's, it's pretty iconic. Um... I think it's interesting, breaking from tradition, that we, we sort of don't have a final girl. We have final girls. Yeah. Um, they're working together to defeat the destructive male figure. Mm-hmm. And this is... There's so many reasons why I think this is a feminist film. But I think it's so important that we didn't have a final girl. Having three final girls all coming together... I don't wish to sound like Spice Girls, but that sort of girl power mm-hmm. mentality of we're stronger together. You know, Valerie had been you know seen as the outcast. You're gonna need a bigger friend. And Valerie, and Valerie sort of it saves the day. Really, mm-hmm. she's the one that that kills Thorn in the end. Um, I I think it's. Quite poetic, really. Yeah, I think I think it's yeah, I think it's really cool. Yeah, you agree. Need a bigger throne. What's the reference? Really? <laughs> yeah, I I laughed because I thought I did. I knew it. I thought it was Ariana DeBose again. It is. <laughs> oh, it is. It oh, is. Oh, okay. All of us. We need a bigger throne. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, of course. <laughs> All here, I presume. <laughs> The original ending actually had um, Russ Thorne killed in the living room, but because Roger Corman loved the film so much, he gave Amy Holden Jones a little extra cash to write and reshoot a bigger ending, uh, which was the right call. as This obviously led to her uh, having a character castrate the killer, technically, um, also allowed her to emulate something she learned on Taxi Driver. She rewatched uh, Taxi Driver whilst rewriting this ending, and the constant yelling and pain in the film's finale struck a chord with her and said it's, she said it's very unnerving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of horror films do that actually. I'm thinking what, Tenebrae. Mm hmm. Taxi Chains of Moscow. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that slumber party massacre. The slumber party massacre. The slumber party massacre. It is one of my favorite slasher films. I absolutely adore it. It's just so much fun, um, and like I said, just, you know, just so ahead of its time. It's so refreshing to watch something like this from nineteen eighty two. Um, yeah, I think I I like that it's... Yes, it's it's
1: got comical elements. Um, but I also like that it does remember to still be quite scary at times, mm-hmm. and oh my god, that soundtrack! Yes, such a good soundtrack. Yeah. We'll discuss that more later. Um, yeah, I think it's acted great. I I love the, the sort of messages. I love the layers to it. Again, um, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's very quick, you know, gets to the points. But still really effective. Mm-hmm. It still it also still manages to, you know, have some interesting characters there
0: as well, which yeah. you don't get a lot of in slasher films. No. That brings us on to Slumber Party Massacre 2021, which is directed by Denishka Esther She's the director of I Was Lorna Bobbit, Ginny and Georgia. Georgia, yeah. Georgia. Level sixteen, the Banana Splits movie, Astrid and Lily Save the World, The Disappearance of Carrie Father, and more. I was that I was Lorena Bobbit. Yeah. Talk of castration.
1: She's the woman who famously cut off her husband's penis. Oh,
0: okay. Yes. Uh written by Suzanne Keeley, who wrote Warrior Nun episodes of Ash vs. Evil Dead, Leprechaun Returns, Dallas and Robo, Killer High, and Light as a Feather. Uh, I'm not sure how much it was made for, and it was straight to TV. So this is premiered on Sci-Fi on October sixteenth, twenty twenty-one, in an edited format, since the network doesn't show uncensored films or shows. But the full unedited version is available on Blu-ray and streaming services. Um, honestly, when this film was announced. I was excited for it when it was announced that it would be a sci fi original. I was not so excited about it. No. And then I watched it and I was completely surprised. But we didn't watch the sci fi edit, did we? No, no,
1: no, no. So I do, I do wonder what the edit was like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, when we did find out it was sci fi. Because, I mean, I associate sci fi original movies with like Sharknado yeah yeah um and sort of the kind of thing that Malignant was parodying yeah in a certain sense so my expectations were fairly low mhm but yes pleasantly
0: surprised. yeah it's time to discuss our second feature presentation
1: it's time to start the slumber party <laughs> stay inside
0: stay quiet and stay safe Whoa dog I love you In
1: 1993
0: Trish Devereaux Is having a slumber party In a cabin in Holly Springs California With friends Jackie Kim And Diane Oh uh, when Chad, Trish's ex-boyfriend, arrives to confront Trish, uh, he looks through the window to see the girls dancing and starts having a wank. He does. He uh, slut-shames
1: Trish, doesn't he? He does. And then it's revealed that he's the one that cheated on her, hence why he's Trish's ex-boyfriend. But he continues to slut-shame yeah. Trish. And then he gives himself a treat whilst watching them. So,
0: I mean, immediately it's going even further than the original, you know, because this isn't just saying, oh, you know, guys are uh, watching these women through a window without their consent. This is bad. This is no, he's actually wanking to it. So, yeah, you know, he's he's actually gone one step further.
1: It's Um, an interesting thing because obviously we discussed it with the original but we find with a lot of original versus remakes, a criticism that we have of remakes is that they feel the need to um, go further. Yeah. When it's sometimes it's not necessary. I think, you know, it, it's a more sort of modern audience because the ideas in the original were more... um. Well, we're less obvious. Yeah. I think it's important that this film does a little more and makes it clear and makes it clear that it's a comedy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think that scene suits that and it fits that.
0: Yeah. Uh, he sees a strange figure on the other side of the cabin, which le- leads to even further um, discussions about what, you know, about men looking through windows at women in films. In a way that he sees someone else doing this, and he's fuming, he's absolutely fuming that this guy is perving, when he's literally there with his dick in his hands. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the hypocrisy of men. The, the figure is Russ Fawn, uh, a killer who uses his power drill and kills Chad. Uh, When Russ makes his way inside the cabin, Kim and Diana murdered. Trish and Jackie hide from the killer when Trish admits that she slept with Chad. She then runs to the front door so she can escape, and uh, Trish tries to stop her, but it's too late. Rush drills Jackie right through the throat, killing her.
1: Yeah, uh, the the original film's quite gory. The original film is quite gory. this film is a lot more gory, again, for a more modern audience. Yeah,
0: and it really took me by surprise, because at this point, you know, again, we're still expecting sci-fi original, and... That was, like, way gorier than I expected.
1: I'm assuming this is the kind of stuff that was edited out. That was edited out, yeah.
0: Um, Despite getting drilled through her hand, Trish successfully escapes from Russ by hitting him with an oar, sending him inside the lake after he gives the same uh, monologue as the end of the original film. Yeah. Where he tells her he loves her. Um, And it's believed that Russ drowned, but his body's never found. And at this point... We've just seen the entire first film. Yeah. You know? It, it... Except it's in a cabin. Except it's in a cabin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's... I was like, at this point, when we first watched it, I was like, okay, well, where is it going now? We've literally just watched the original.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's... Um... I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. It, it, there's a few moments in the film that do catch me off guard, and, and this was yeah. one of them. I was like, oh... Okay, what, yeah. are do- what are we doing here then?
0: It's, it's very, very well written, this film um, And very well directed as well It's unpredictable Like, there's so many The three big twists in this film This being the first one The fact that, you know This is the entire film people are expecting Ending there within like 10 minutes mm. That's the first big twist And there's two more to go And I never saw any of them come in No, no It's your Evil Dead 2 moment then. Yeah <laughs> Yeah, so we then go to present day Los Angeles, where Trisha's daughter Dana is heading out for a girls' weekend with best friends Maeve, Briny, and Ashley. En route, the girls are in for a scare when they learn that Maeve's young Maeve's younger sister Alex has stowed away uh, in their car.
1: Yes, she has. Um, surprisingly, because she does nothing but moan. She does that's, that's true. That's Like, why have you made such an effort?
0: To tag along, but you have issues with absolutely everything. (laughs) Yeah, they reluctantly let her join uh, and as and they, they, because they're already on the way to the house where they've rented. Uh, Their car breaks down in the renamed Jolly Springs (laughs) when Ashley uh, sees an ad for a cabin to rent for the night. The girls talk to Kay, the owner of the general store in the cabin. Kay reluctantly lets the girls rent the cabin and warns them to stay quiet and stay still. Uh, but they don't They get there and immediately they start dancing And having a great time Alex is bored so she goes out for a walk And she sees a few guys at the cabin across the lake And soon finds the mechanic's truck In the middle of the road And uh, swapping it out for the pizza guy The mechanic <laughs> Dave Falls on Alex with drilled out eyes he does. And this is great There are so many little nods uh To the other films in this film Yeah. This is one of them And it it covers all three films in the franchise uh, there's one particular one to part 2 that i could not believe when i first watched it which is coming up yeah yeah the whole
1: idea that the girls sort of because in in the slumber party massacre the first film they it's a slumber party but it's not that sort of stereotypical pillow fights Silly girliness sort of thing. I mean, they're they're smoking pot and talking very sexual. Yeah,
0: you know. Uh, Blood soaked Alex goes back to the cabin and warns the others when they see her. She reveals that she knows the Rustform backstory because of a crime bandits podcast episode she listened to. Talking about a film of a podcast on a podcast. (laughs) How meta can you get? How meta. The girls soon yell pillow fight and reveal they all have weapons such as knives and baseball bats. They reveal to Alex that they know Fawn is still alive and they've set everything up in an attempt to bait him out and kill him once and for all after 20 more victims have fallen since Trisha's encounter. Now, this, again, this is the second big twist and I really didn't see this one coming. I was I was quite shocked, um, actually. Um... It's very Halloween 2018.
1: Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes, it is. Yeah. But it, it's it's very interesting um, to see such a twist yeah. in what I thought was going to be a straightforward uh-huh. slasher remake. And like I said, I had very low expectations for the film. Yeah.
0: And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. this
1: This has piqued my interest.
0: Yeah, it doesn't just try and be any other slasher film. And that's what's so good about it. You know, it's in the same way the Suspiria remake completely changed things up. This has that bit there to please fans of the original. You know, you have that opening 10 minutes where you do get to see the original film. Um, You know, you get to see the villain from the original in a big portion of the film. But it's still doing its own thing. And that's what so many remakes just need to do more of.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure what it's trying to say, because it is a film with a lot of messages. It takes the feminist viewpoint of the original and amps it up a lot, Uh, as much as it does with the comedy as well. I'm not sure what, what this is meant to
0: say, or it's just meant to make it different and make it, you know. I feel like it has a lot to say about men's treatment of women. And men's attitude towards women, which definitely is on display when we're introduced to the next two characters. But
1: I mean, the idea of them seeking revenge. On men who have wronged. Of this man. Yeah. Yeah. Rather take a a sort of a vigilante stance. Taking things into their own hands. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's interesting mm-hmm. i do I do think it's very interesting. I'm not sure what they're trying to say with it mm-hmm. whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean spoiler alert you know not all the girls survive till the end um but yeah it it's it's interesting and it 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 makes the film fresher than I thought it had it was going to be, or really had any right to be.
0: Well, I think there's one it's scene cool. where Dana says that she's taken back her mum's life, and I think it's very much that case of women defending women. I feel like that is the message here, and whether it's relating to Hollywood or just life in general, and the way men have treated women and women defending each other, I feel like that's pretty much the straightforward message.
1: Yeah, and the idea of not being able to rely on the law... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. ...may maybe. Yeah. That's a big statement
0: But um, yeah potentially Yeah, could yeah. Be. Um, The girls are interrupted, interrupted by two of the guys From the cabin across the lake uh, John who's wearing a crime bandits t-shirt And Matt who introduces himself by saying I have a girlfriend I thought that was hilarious yeah. The first thing he says is I have a girlfriend This guy is the embodiment of so many men And what they're like Yes. Online and yeah But
1: also what kind of women are like mm-hmm. as well. Uh and we've all seen it. It's hilarious. You know, the the girlfriend who, you know, the, her boyfriend's away for the weekend or something and she's given him a t-shirt with her face on it or a t-shirt that says don't talk to me, I have a girlfriend. All that business. The yeah. kind of it's it's yes, it it's a parody of men who are like that, but I also think it's a parody of um dare i say it straight couples well yeah i hate to generalize because they might not always be straight but straight couples who are weirdly like that yeah don't you talk to a single woman Uh because you're in a relationship like if you see any any pretty ladies you run a mile okay I'm like, oh, that that sounds like a healthy relationship. There,
0: yeah. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious that he assumes that they'd even want anything absolutely. It's just, it's oh, yeah, it plays
1: on that as well. That one sentence, I, I just thought it was so funny because it, it says so much.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, John reveals he's a huge fan of crime podcasts, and uh, and he and his buddies have rented out the actual cabin that Russ killed Trisha's friends in. Um noticing the weapons, Matt freaks out and he and John leave and he says, I think those are those man-haters you hear about. They had knives in their pillows. (laughs) Again, you know, something that within internet culture, men assuming that because women are feminists, they're all men-haters. Yeah. Um, But also, the fact that they've gone there on purpose because they know people were murdered there as well. You know, it's such a play on... The dumb white people in horror films thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And kind of the, the dumb kind of obsession that people have with yeah. true crime, where it kind of separates uh sort of... There's a blur between real life and fiction because they treat these real life crimes like it's... Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Yeah. You know, I've, like, they're going to the filming location of a Friday the 13th Mm -hmm. sequel uh, when actual real people died. And I think the sort of irony in it is the fact that he's saying it to the daughter of one of the victims. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she's right there Mm -hmm. and you're saying that you're, how excited you are. Yeah. That you've rented out the cabin where her best friends were murdered yes and you know she was almost murdered but she was permanently left disabled Mm -hmm. you know because of this and you're like oh my god how cool you're wearing the fucking podcast yeah you know all that business i think i think it's sort of a funny
0: sort of irony in that yeah dana and maeve realized that russ could pop out and go after the guys at any point so they decide to follow them
1: Yeah, to save them as well. And I just put in my notes, I was like, oh my god, men ruin everything. Uh Because essentially, the plan would have been less likely to go tits up if these men had just minded their own fucking business. Yeah. Really.
0: The guys, uh, they return to the cabins, join their friend Sean, who is in short shorts and playing the fucking guitar drill from Slumber Party Massacre 2. (laughs) So... Yeah, Slumber Party Massacre 2, which we'll be discussing on Tuesday's episode, does feature a killer that has musical numbers and a guitar drill. Yes. Um, and I could not believe when this showed up in this film.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's not got the drill on the end, though, has no, it? No, but it's the exact guitar, same guitar. It's
0: the guitar. It's a, I love, it's a funny little in-reference. Joining Sean is Guy 1 and Guy 2, which I thought was hilarious, <laughs> the fact that the names were Guy 1 and Guy 2. Because usually it is background characters like hot girl on beach, hot girl at bar.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's definitely play on the idea that everyone's kind of expendable in these yeah. slasher films.
0: Gai decides to go outside for a piss, uh, despite having a toilet inside the cabin. And someone throws a bottle at him. Is this the world's a toilet, my man. <laughs>
1: uh, after... Uh... He makes fun of Guy 2 for wearing makeup. Yeah. But he's not wearing makeup, he's just wearing moisturiser.
0: <laughs> Very manly man. Um, When someone throws a bottle at him, it's not the boys because they're inside having a pillow fight. They are, yes. Um, He bumps into Russ Ford and is so excited to see him. Again, he treats him like a celebrity. Yeah. Uh, but Russ breaks out the drill and kills him. Yes. Yeah. In a... Uh... To the head. Yeah. <laughs> uh The girls arrive at the guy's cabin, and in a bizarre series of events, uh, they're having a slow-motion, homoerotic pillow fight. The shirts are off. At one point, they're pouring beer over each other. The feathers are going everywhere, and it's hilarious.
1: It is, because it, it, it's not one of those, oh, isn't this funny, you know, men... Acting in a feminine way Which I think can be played for cheap laughs Sometimes Don't you think Yeah You know It's just It's the Gender reversal Because there's no No suggestion That that, You know These men aren't You know Straight Men Yeah (laughs) Do do you know what I mean They, They sort of They have So many attributes To sort of toxic masculinity Uh huh but do these pillow fights, it, it's it's a gender reversal yeah. that, that makes it funny. Not, not the yeah. ha-ha men acting feminine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these are the type of men that would usually be homophobic as well. They're very much dude-bro types. Yeah. They're clearly all on football teams. Oh, oh and... yeah. If this was in the 80s, the, the mm-hmm. F-slur would have yeah. been maybe used a few times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Russ turns off the lights, and during the chaos, Russ kills Guy 2 by drilling him in the head. Russ escapes and the girls soon reveal to the surviving guys that Russ is alive and they need and that they need to stop him. Sean grabs his guitar whilst Matt and John grab legs off their chairs and go after Russ despite the girls warning. Um, Dana actually says you really shouldn't go and John's like, yeah, I know, but my toxic masculinity is kind of forcing me to. Yeah. Again, you know, it's it doesn't try and be subtle with it and it doesn't need to. No,
1: no, it's it's an all out comedy. The fact that they're hold like he's a guitar, it's not even a drill guitar, no. it's just a guitar. The fact that they've got chair legs when the women have actual weapons. Yes. Yeah. Um, I it's comical the fact that they think that they're still better off, mm-hmm. you know, and are more likely to kill Russ, you know, even with the wrong weaponry. Yeah. <laughs> more likely than the girls to do
0: so. As, uh, as Dana encounters Russ, a chase leads to Sean attempting to stop Russ with his guitar and ends up getting drilled in the face. Yeah, I feel like this was also cut. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> because it's very graphic. Grill? To the, uh, grill drill to the face. Uh, when Russ follows Dana to her cabin, he attempts a sneak attack, but soon met by the girls, who after beating him up, give Dana the chance to kill Russ with a slash to the throat. Alex, in homage to the iconic camp scene from the end of the first film, Uh, runs out screaming and repeatedly stabs Russ, making sure he's dead. Yeah, camp as in um
1: (laughs) not camp as in summer camp. (laughs) No, no. The camp scene where she's running with her hair flying everywhere in slow motion. (laughs) Uh,
0: The next morning, now this is where again, I was surprised there was a next morning. Yes. Uh, Again, I thought, that's it, end of film. Nope. The next morning, the girls are relieved that they don't have to act fake anymore. Uh, meanwhile, Matt and John ponder everything that's going on. And we get a recreation of the fridge scene from the original, but with guy one in a freezer. Yeah. Holding a bottle of beer ready for uh, Matt to grab.
1: And they don't actually find him, do they? No. They don't no. actually see it. What I was a little confused by is the fact that the girls didn't have to act fake anymore. So yeah. The, the idea that they'd put on personalities. Mm-hmm. Until
0: this man was out of their lives.
1: Until this man was out of their lives. Yeah. But, you know, one of them, I, I do forget her name, which one. um She acted very ditzy. Yeah. um Surely Alex, who wasn't in, who wasn't aware of the plan. Mm-hmm. Why didn't she question why they were acting differently to their normal personalities? Well,
0: it's comedy. I know it is. <laughs> Well, I mean, I suppose that one's not her sister, so maybe she didn't know her as well.
1: I, I maybe. Maybe.
0: Um in a massive dig to the stance on nudity surrounding the original film. Seriously, one of the funniest scenes in the film. Matt decides to take a slow motion sexualized shower with a big focus on his ass. And is then killed by a mysterious assailant who Stabs him through his back and through his chest Tattoo with a drill Yes and his
1: chest tattoo Is a heart yeah. With his girlfriend's name Yeah <laughs>
0: uh, This scene it's, it's just fucking genius I love it so much Because again you know, One of the big talking points is Oh this woman directed a film in the 80s And had nudity in it And these directors are just like Okay we're going to give you a sexualized shower scene, but it's going to be a man.
1: Yeah, well, it's 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 a, a gender reversal of the original, yeah. isn't it? Which is funny.
0: Yeah, but I, I think it is really interesting that you know, and obviously this film has uh, a five point one on IMDb, so I I believe many straight men who would have watched the original for the sexualization of women, what they would have been hoping for. Perhaps would have watched this for the same And there's actually no female nudity in this Whatsoever But you get this shower scene with a man
1: Yeah, yeah And I, I think I don't really know how to Explain the 5.1 On IMDb I think people Who potentially Didn't understand, I didn't figure out the layers of the original film. Or, or, you know, if they didn't want to, then that's on them. You know, I'm not judging anyone. But obviously I feel like this film, the the reimagining is a reimagining because it wanted to do what the original couldn't quite do. Mm -hmm. And that's not taking away from the original because I think the original is a great film but Rita Mae Brown's original idea. Yeah. Her focus on comedy, her focus on mm-hmm. the feminist aspects yeah. of slasher film parody. Uh I think what the reimagining is doing is being faithful to you know Rita Mae Brown. Yeah. Rather than the original film, mm-hmm. there's obviously there's references to the first film and the sequels, yeah. and I think it also parodies a lot of films that came after. Yeah, you know the the the, sl- the Slumber Party Massacre, so it's kind of all encompassing. But I, I do think that's what the film is trying to do, and if you didn't really get that from the original film, mm-hmm. then potentially. Let's be honest, a lot of people would be like, what's this woke nonsense? Yeah. Why have they taken a slasher film, a classic slasher film, and they've, you know, made it woke? They've, you know, these snowflakes didn't appreciate a bit of nudity in the first film. And obviously these people are completely wrong and I completely disagree with them because, it, you know, it, the original film is rife if you look close uh-huh. enough, oh, yeah. it's rife with that yeah. same energy mm-hmm. that runs through the reimagining. It's just the reimagining being made in 2021, you know, almost 40 years later. Yeah. You know, it's allowed to do that because yeah. Roger Corman didn't allow it in 1982. Mm-hmm. But sci-fi, who, are you know, given the money they've said, yeah, fucking go for it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, Sci-Fi, the same network that I put out, the Chucky TV series, which is so progressive Yeah. as well. you know, um, I But it, again, it, it literally could just be as simple as IMDb users seeing an empowering feminist slasher film directed and written by women um, where toxic men are made fun of, and it's pissed them off, and that's why it has a low rating. Because, sadly, the world we live in today, that is what a lot of IMDb users are like. Yeah, I think... Fi- it's I, been proven time and time again. Yeah, I agree
1: with that. But when we first watched Black the Black Christmas remake, Oh, yeah, yeah. I did think, I was like, oh, God, you know, this is really pushing mm. this. And, you know, I don't think it's a perfect film. But when I did watch it, you know, I agreed with the sentiment, but I did think I was like, okay, you know, try and form a film around this. Mm. Try try and make some bit, you know, because I was comparing it too much to the original as well. Yeah. Um, but go back to our Black Christmas original versus remake episode and you'll you'll know what we think of it. Um but when we originally watched it, I kind of had the same mm. critiques because I thought you're trying too hard. Yeah. And I think people may look at this film and think, oh, God, you're trying too hard. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree. And I don't necessarily agree now with Black Christmas because I've looked at it deeper, mm. you know? And I think potentially this is a film that deserves a second chance, like yeah. we gave the Black Christmas remake.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing that I, f- I feel like this got a lot of positive reactions. From the people it was made for, you know, a lot of people I follow on Letterbox, a lot of film critics, um, you know, female, uh, non-binary, LGBTQ plus, you know, have enjoyed this film. Yeah, I've enjoyed this film. This is a film made for people like that because you know they'll get it. Yeah, they'll they'll get it immediately. It's not one of those where you have to rediscover it in in many years time when the world's evolved a bit. This is made and it's a very twenty twenty one film and it's made for a 2021 audience, and those people get it. But, again, you know, we live in the age where people are rating films on IMDb before they're even released, if they see they're made by women, predominantly with women, especially, you know, led by a woman of colour as well. It, It ticks all the boxes to get a low IMDb rate. Yeah, yeah,
1: of course. And also, I think so many people think that every film ever made has been made for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so people have watched, you know, I watched the original Sumber Party Massacre and I enjoyed it because it was a great slasher film and there were lots of tits in it. And, you know, I want to see that again, you know. And they think that the remake is made for them, Mm -hmm. the TNA audience, the I want to watch a slasher film audience when it's not, it's actually not made for them. Yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily blame people for watching it because, you know, they probably were expecting a slasher film.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what they got was a, you know, very modern feminist comedy horror. Yeah. yeah. So I can imagine their surprise. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, you know, a lot of them, did think that the film was made specifically for them and failed on all counts and can't imagine or look at it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what I mean? I I know that the Fast and the Furious films are not for me. Mm -hmm. If I was to watch one, I could appreciate that it's not made for me. So I wouldn't say this is the worst thing ever. This is shit. Mm -hmm. This is this, this is, you know, that or the other. I would say
0: for its audience, this is very good. Yeah, it's very straight white male privilege to think that everything's made for you. Absolutely.
1: Always um, when people dising kids films all the yeah. time, you which know is I...
0: hilarious because this exact conversation. This is very much the uh, the character has just been killed. This is very much the Matt character. Yes, yeah, true. This actually, is exactly yeah. who That's he's true. been built around. Um, Ashley, who is a mechanic, attempts to fix Maeve's SUV but finds the hood closed in on her. Uh, by the same mysterious uh, killer who kills Ashley by turning on the motor, causing the car's fan blades to make an impact. Ooh, that's yeah. Steady death. Um, when the others discover, also going back to Matt's shower scene again, what did that make you? What did that make you think of? What film did that make you think of? Read. Shower scene outdoors as someone sneaking up on him. Oh, um, the, burn-in. the burning! The burning! It's absolutely giving me the burning. Oh, of
1: course, that dirty pervert. Yeah, our hero, guy. hero, a hero, of the hero of
0: the in the burning, being a <laughs> dirty pervert. Written by the Weinsteins, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, when was it? O- I didn't. Yeah, was it written by them. Uh uh-huh. Oh God. Uh, when the others discover both Russ's body has disappeared and sees Ashley under the hood. They are attacked by the assailant who uses a nail gun. Nice little uh, nail gun massacre reference. Probably a film that does not deserve a, a nod, but there's absolutely a nod to nail gun massacre. You think? Oh yeah. Well, nail guns are just a thing, aren't they? Uh, yeah, nail but it's exists. This is a slasher parody.
1: Yeah, a bit working yeah. on a film from the eighties. Maybe I, I, I just... that's clearly
0: had a burning reference in there. Nail gun massacre is one of my least favorite films. <laughs> Brini, uh heads to the window to see if it's safe and she's killed by a nail to the eye. Really I nasty effect. I mean,
1: I'm not massively familiar with nail guns in general, but I mean, those nails fly yeah. really quick and very far as well. I didn't think that was it. Like, I just thought it was like, like nailing uh-huh.
0: walls and so I didn't...
1: Do you know what I mean? Oh my God. This entire... This
0: like meters away. Yeah. This entire sequence, by the way, is... I've only just realised now whilst talking about it. This entire third act is a homage to 80s horror. The hood in a car going down and killing someone. Maniac. Home Sweet Home. What, oh. what were you going to say? Maniac. Maniac, yeah, Maniac. Uh, not Maniac, Madman. Madman, Madman, Madman. yeah. Isn't it Madman? Madman. Where her head gets cut yeah. off by the thing. Madman or Home Sweet Home, yeah. one yeah. of the two. Nelgun Massacre. Different. Has anyone watched Home Sweet Home? Of course Home. they have. <laughs> Nelgun, well, the same person's clearly watched Nelgun Massacre. Nelgun Massacre. And the burning, the shower scene, and of course, Slumber Party Massacre, the freezer. Yeah. This literally, this is is a homage to AC's horror. And of course, the big twist that's coming up, Friday the 13th.
1: Yes, yes, of course.
0: Yeah? Yeah. Which is incredibly cool, by the way. I think that's amazing. It's made me appreciate this film even more. Um, Alex begins to get violently ill from a tin of cookies gifted the night before and Dana looks for help whilst Maeve takes care of her sister even the cookies thing I feel like that's taken from something you think? yeah I, I really I recognise that poison Uh as Dana looks for help she's confronted by John who thinks she's responsible for Matt and Guy Wan's death and he thinks this is part of her big feminist plot to get rid of all the men yeah who'd who'd fucking blame them at this point? <laughs> Dana tells John she killed Russ but did not kill her friends or his friends and as Dana pleads with John that they should leave together to get help John gets in the car tells her to come with him and he just drives off he does sadly he survives yes Dana finds Kay and tells her what has happened Kay is revealed to be the mysterious killer who killed Matt Ashley (gasps) and Brini because she is seeking revenge as she is none other than Russ Fawn's mother. Wow. Modern day Pamela Voorhees.
1: Modern day Pamela Voorhees protecting her son.
0: Yeah. Kay goes after Dana, Maeve and Alex, but soon enough, Trish arrives and starts a fight with Kay. Uh, When Kay uses a blade against Trish's injured hand, she is shocked to learn that Russ's drilling has caused the nerves in her hand to be completely damaged to where she can't feel the pain. Yeah, which kind of saves her in the end, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I think it's interesting, you know, the idea of sort of two women at the end, two mothers, protecting their children, mm-hmm. or at least thinking they're protecting their children. Um, obviously, Kay's protecting a killer. Yeah. <laughs> or reve- seeking revenge for a, a killer. Uh huh. Um, they might not be justified, but they're kind of. Two sides of the same coin. I th- I think that's interesting. It is, yeah.
0: Um, Dana helps Trish by giving her Russ's broken drill bit, and Trish kills Kay by stabbing her in the chest with the broken drill bit. So, she kills Russ's mother with what is technically his cock. E- yes, <laughs> if if we're talking phallic symbols, yes. As Kay dies, we're talking Trish. About Oedipus complex. <laughs> As, uh, as Kay dies, Trish, Dana, Maeve and Alex all hug as the terror finally ends.
1: Yeah, the end. Yeah. I I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. And I appreciated that it managed to do a lot of what, sadly, the first film wasn't able to do. Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe it does suffer a little bit, in my opinion, from the remake slash reimagining curse of overdoing it, I think the the sort of plot becomes a little, you know, how many twists is too many twists. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the original film is very sort of linear and it gets, it gets straight to the point. Yeah. It just goes for it. This is your story. Th- this is it. Whereas with the, the reimagining, it's it sort of, too many twists, in my opinion, but fantastically acted, laugh out loud, funny at places. I thought the gores were great, and uh, the gores, I thought the kills were great, and I just thought it was a really fun film. I really appreciated the message. I liked how the message was clearer mm-hmm. for the cheap seats at the back. You know, this is a very modern film, this is going to talk to you about feminism particularly in horror cinema and you're going to sit there and you're going to listen because yeah. we're making it plain and simple for you. And I
0: appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So, I mean, oh well, yeah, I should probably give my opinion really. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. That it definitely, it, it definitely goes on a little too long. That's my only complaint uh, with the film uh, I'm amazed that it is uh, only 10 minutes longer than the original, but yet it still managed to fit in two extra plots. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it, it does feel like three films in one. Um, But yeah, no, I, I think it's one of the better horror remakes and it's just absolutely solid. I I mean, I give it the same rating as your spoiler alert, I give it the same rating as the original and I, I think it's just as good because, yeah, it just does, it does everything the original wanted to do, but... I assume it had a little bit of a bigger budget. Um, yeah, And just more freedom, and it really shows.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, there's a lot of things I appreciate with it. I I, I do think maybe the characters could be been a little more fleshed out as a whole. Just, you know, because I think the problem is they were playing different characters for a big... They were like, oh, yeah. we can be ourselves now. And I'm like, oh, well, who are you? You know... Once they were like, we can be ourselves now, I'm a bit like, well, who are you now then? Mm. Because I've only had, you know, I only know you as the ditzy one. Yeah. And if you're not the ditzy one, who are you now? Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I think it's just something the original did better. But obviously, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yes. (laughs) Because this is original versus
0: remake. Yes. Getting into the awards categories. First up, we have cinematography, scares, kills, and soundtrack. Uh... Getting it out there straight away. Not every of these films are really scary, particularly because they do focus a lot more on the comedy side of things. Um, But... original, because they tried to play it straight with a direction, automatically wins scares because it tries a little harder with the scares. Yes. Um, I think overall...
1: The tone is scarier in the original. Yeah, the
0: cinematography has that classic 80s slasher feel to it. Yeah,
1: I love it. I love that look. I, I really Overdramatic
0: do. thunder and lightning. and. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I
1: think that the reimagining, it does look like a sci-fi film. Yeah. It does. Um, which I'm not hugely against but I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for that old school aesthetic. Yeah. There. there are
0: there are some scenes that stand out in the remake for cinematography, but I find they're often ones recreating shots from the original. Mm. Um, the practical effects in both films look incredible. Yeah. Um, the only thing that drags the remake down slightly is CGI blood is used every now and then. Not for every kill, but I did notice it a few times, but I mean, we're really clutching at straws here. That's, you know, Two films with great practical effects. If I was going to mark any down, it would be the slight use of CGI blood in the remake.
1: Um. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But, but you they, know... They,
0: the kills do look fantastic. They
1: they do. They're over the top. And it's the kind of stuff you can get away with um, all out pure comedy. Yeah. It's those over the top kills. I mean, that drill to the head, you know, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah. But which one was it? Was it Sean?
0: Yeah. Uh huh. With the guitar. Um, it absolutely wow. I was like, apart from Matt and John, the other three guys, they all get drills to the head. Oh, do yeah, they do yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, the soundtrack in the remake post pays homage to the original soundtrack. Mm. The original soundtrack is a synth heavy soundtrack, and Ralph Jones who composed it. Uh, is the director's brother? Yeah, he recorded the entire thing on a small Casio synthesizer. It's so good.
1: Yeah, I fucking love it. It it's so weird, but really stands out because it's kind of like it's almost like Universal Horror, but on a Casio. Yeah, it it's really it it really I think maybe more than anything else is what stuck with me mm-hmm. after my original viewing of the film was because I
0: thought that soundtrack was so good. I love that main theme. I yeah. really do. Um Yeah. I love how they bring it back in the remake, yeah, yeah. especially during the opening credits where they just add so much more to it and make it sound so much bigger. Um But I mean, that has to go to the original though because it obviously created it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, Fucking love I'd love to get that On the vinyl
0: Yeah So at the end of that round All four are going To the original Yes Moving on to characters i uh, try tried to Compare these As best I can mm. Uh, Trish Devereaux Yeah In the original And Dana Devereaux In the remake The uh, original Blanche Devereaux Yeah well the... the original was played By Michelle Michaels And in the remake She's played by Hannah Gonera. Um, Both really do a great job Yeah uh, I feel like Out of all of them Dana gets uh, The characters in the remake Dana gets the most character Development And I also feel like uh, Hannah Gonera Does the best job as well Out of everybody I completely agree She's a really fantastic lead. Yeah
1: Yeah I do actually I, I thought she was um Quite charismatic Yeah Actually I felt for her I was behind her I liked her as a character and I liked her performance too. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the main character. She was always going to be the one that survived. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um And yeah, I, I just, I really enjoyed her performance and her characterization. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. And, and Trish, I mean, I don't know. I can't really tell you a lot about the Trish character in the original which is weird because I feel like she is fleshed out. I just don't feel like she's as interesting as Dana.
1: No, she she's the nice girl that's yeah. nice to Valerie. Um, she seemingly has a few men on the go, actually. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention that because she dropped off at home on a bike. Yeah. She, you know, kisses someone, but then she's flirting during the party. So she's, she's a cool girl, mm-hmm. you know. She's on the basketball team. She, she kind of does go against that final girl type. Yeah. Um, but I think Dana is just a really strong character and, and just a little more fleshed out.
0: So we're giving it to Dana? Yes. Uh, next up we have Valerie Bates, who I've compared with Maeve here. Okay. Because she's the older sister character. Yes. He's a friend. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, played by Robin Still in, or Style, in 1982, and Frances Sholto Douglas in 2021. Now, I've got the opposite problem here. I feel like I know everything about Valerie in the original, yeah. but I actually don't know a lot about Maeve in the remake. Because she doesn't really get a lot to do. She's there till the end. Yeah. Um, which is again, made this comparison a little easier. Um, but I feel like Valerie definitely gets more I get performance wise, you know, again, it it could go to either because they both do a really good job, but I definitely feel like we get a lot more from Valerie in the original.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a bad performance in either of the no. films, which is which is nice for Slasher films. Yeah. Um yeah, I think Maeve plays second fiddle to her sister. Yeah. Um I think Valerie, you know, she she plays She's on the same level as her sister, Yeah, uh, you know, as, as sort of a duo. But I think Valerie is more layers to her. Um, she's sort of the outcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just respect any woman in a horror film who says, so I don't fancy,
0: yeah. I don't fancy putting myself in uh-huh. danger,
1: actually. Yeah. Why don't you call the police? Yeah. See you later.
0: Yeah. It's, I absolutely <laughs> want to, we'll give it to Valerie. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, next up we have Courtney Bates In the original and Alex in the remake uh, The sisters Oh yes Jennifer Myers in 1982 mm-hmm. And Mila Rain In 2021 um, Yeah Mila Rain Definitely gets a little more She leans a little more Towards main character than her sister Like you said she definitely outshines her Yeah Um. I think that's because she gets a little more to do Yes but Jennifer Myers in the original is so funny as Courtney. It's very funny, and just her she has got her hair done, yeah, and her
1: makeup done. I'm just so excited to go and show the girls, yeah. And it's abs- i think it's absolutely hilarious because obviously it's nineteen eighty-two. Um, fashion's changed a lot <laughs> in yeah. forty years, and she, looking back, she's got far too much makeup on. Uh-huh. Don't know what she do with her hair. <laughs> But it's so funny, and she's a funny character. She she probably is the most comical character, yeah. really in terms of just being a bright kid. Also, Alex is fucking annoying. At the Alex is annoying. She's really annoying, <laughs> and also she vomits a lot. Because she's poisoned by the Okay, cookies. well I mean
0: that's not her fault, she's been poisoned.
1: <laughs> I know, but my only image because I mark I, her down because she vomits. I think vomit it I can't I can't deal with it. I hate it. Hate it in films and, and such and in real life. Um, so yeah, it's kinda of stuck with me. So I don't like her. Do
0: so. you know who she kinda looked like? Um, the actress who plays Alex? Yeah. And I'm quite surprised to see she isn't. Okay. Did she not remind you of anyone? I feel like she did. Is it Lena Dunham? No. The uh, villain from Candyland. Religious girl. Oh, okay. I felt like she looked exactly like her. And obviously, I'd seen Candyland since we first watched this remake. And that's that's all I could think of when I saw her. I thought she was just going to start murdering everyone. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Courtney wins. Yes, she does. Yes. I'm sorry
1: for that obscure reference. I was going to say <laughs> <about> candy. <laughs> Do you know what? When you said candy, and I thought Candyland was a fantastic film, really enjoyed it. But uh, when you said
0: Candyland, I was like, "Is that the one with Nicholas Cage?" <laughs> and that's Willy's Wonderland, isn't it? Jesus <laughs> Christ, quite different. Um, and then I've just grouped the rest of the characters together. So in the original, we have Kim Clark, Jackie Cassidy, and Diane, played by Deborah Deliso, Andrew Honor Hano, and. Gina Smeker Hunter, and then in the remake we have Brinie and Ashley, played by Alex McGregor and Resi Tiana Wessels. I feel like the original, They're kind of the other characters still. Yeah. I feel like they're, they're still the other characters, but Brinie and Ashley in the remake they literally get nothing.
1: It does feel. They... Like,
0: it does feel like they don't get much.
1: They don't get yeah. Like at least. In the original, there's the
0: pizza scene.
1: Yeah. Which is a real standout. Yeah, and Jackie moment. is a
0: standout character. Yeah,
1: and Kim's in the fridge. Yeah. Which is a standout moment. Yeah. So I suppose maybe they're more memorable because they're part of more standout moments. Yeah, Diane has the
0: phone call, the minor jump scare. Yes. You know, it's, yeah. So it kind of has to go to them just because the others, I mean, the others get great deaths. They do, but they don't get but great scenes. Themselves. Yeah, because like
1: them. my criticism of of the film where it's like, well, I don't feel like I know the characters because you've just told me that they weren't who they were mm-hmm. for the majority of the film. Yeah, because they said, "Oh, now I can be the real me." Mm-hmm. Well, who is the real you? So I I do think that's that's an issue. Um, so I would
0: give it to the original. And finally, we have Russ Thorn, uh, who is played by Michael Valela in nineteen eighty two, and Rob Van Veren in twenty twenty one. This is a tough one. It's
1: so tough. Like the in the original, he is genuinely, and I do think, and I I regret not mentioning it whilst I was discussing the film. I think it adds so much to the film how creepy that man looks. I know, yeah. And acts. He does yeah. a fantastic job. I mean. You know, in terms of someone who just looks so creepy, Mm -hmm. he's up there with Bob from Twin Peaks. Yeah. Like, you don't have to say anything. Genuinely, he looks super creepy. And I think that adds so much to the film. It
0: does. And in an age where, you know, so many slasher villains back then would have some sort of disfigurement or they'd be wearing a mask. and This is just a guy with a big drill. Yeah. That he's waving around like it's his cock. You know? Uh, and he does such a good job But so does uh, Rabban Verum Because Honestly Their performances Are identical the, the, I
1: genuinely Had to look And be like They just like Get the same guy Yeah His Kind of impression of him Really Because it's It's an yeah. impression I don't know how It's so spot on Yeah Re- Really well done Yeah Really well done And still He manages to be creepy And I think he's do you see a little less of him? Obviously, he dies earlier, doesn't he? Because his old, yeah, mummy yeah. takes over. I think you um, see a little less do, yeah. of him.
0: I, I think it, this is definitely a tie. It's, yeah. It's really I, I think to do
1: two. such a great impression, I think, out of respect, I think it's definitely a
0: tie. And finally, we're now on to our final four. We have Biggest Queen. I give it to Dana in the remake. Do you know what? I agree, actually. I'd, I'd originally
1: thought Trish, uh, but I think Dana. Yeah, I think she's a real well-rounded character, a great final girl. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah, give it to her, Biggest Queen.
0: Uh, biggest Gasp, I give to the Russ trap reveal in the remake. I completely agree as well. Yeah, I,
1: I genuinely didn't see it coming.
0: Yeah. Uh, best dialogue goes to the original for me With, I think she's got a big mouth And hey, it's not how big your mouth is It's what's in it that counts
1: <laughs> Mine also goes to the original Oh, one thing I forgot From the original, speaking of best dialogue In the shower scene When, uh, I can't remember which one It's <laughs> when the girl says Hey, I think your tits are getting bigger And let like everyone turns around to... What, Mine? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, one? I do. <laughs> uh mine does it's not that one, uh, but I did forget that when we were discussing the film. My best dialogue is uh he's so cold. Is the pizza <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It, the, the,
0: the, yeah, there's a lot of best dialogue in so the original. So much great dialogue um, in the original. And the same can be said for that's camp. Definitely. Mine goes to the iconic Kim in the Fridge. In the original. Kim
1: in the Fridge. Now, I don't know if mine's technically a tie, but it is it is the original. Oh, so it's the room with the knife. Yeah. It's that bone. Mo- that is high camp. High camp. <laughs> that
0: That's what I like to see from my mm-hmm. slasher films. Yeah. High camp. And with that being said, the winner is the original. The original. But I, again, you know, It is so tough uh, with these two, because, I mean, getting onto our ratings now, I give the original uh, eight symbolic penis drills out of ten, and I give the remake eight homoerotic pillow fights out of (laughs) ten.
1: I gave the original eight, I don't think that's how peepholes work, out of ten, and I give the remake seven guys out of (laughs) ten.
0: Yeah, it's, it really is so close between the two. And it's great when you get an original remake duo like that because it's so easy for a remake to be lazy and just do the original again and mess it up and, you know, Prom Night, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at you. um But this just, it does its own thing. There's actually effort there. You could tell people gave a shit about making this film and that's, you know, props to them. But, you know. Both are great. And, like, both definitely yeah. worth
1: watching. Definitely.
0: And they're easy to get hold of as well. If you want to watch the original, it's on Shudder, Amazon Prime, and Video On Demand. And if you want to watch the remake, it's on Shudder, Video On Demand, and Blu-ray. Do you know what I really want from the original? And I don't know if
1: it's uh of, in, in America. I think Shout Factory, they do the original?
0: They release the original on its own. Here yeah.
1: in the UK, if anyone's listening, I want a really good edition. Oh, I know. Of... If- all three of yeah. the three films. Try to remake it as well. Do a
0: proper box set. Yeah, you know?
1: absolutely. I want a nice box set. I want to hear the history of it. I want yeah. to hear from the writer, from the director, because I think it's a film that really deserves it. It's yeah. not just a throwaway slasher film. I think there's way more to it than that. I think it's got a very interesting history. Uh, maybe we should get The Shout Factory. You know, maybe it's already mm-hmm. been done. Um, but here but yeah, in the it's UK, very in the I UK, I would really, it really, because wasn't it called something? They, they in the UK they didn't like the word massacre, so they um, called it something
0: else. They didn't like a lot of things in the UK,
1: and it was like cheapo DVDs thrown out with cuts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I, I, genuinely I think it deserves
0: more than that. Yeah, absolutely. And if you enjoyed the original, I recommend checking out Student Bodies, uh, which is a straight up parody. Uh, from around the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And if you enjoyed the remake, I recommend checking out The Final Girls, which is a never slasher satire and just incredibly underrated uh, and unheard of, uh, apart from the gays, because you know, we all have taste. <laughs> if you enjoyed the original,
1: then I recommend The House on Sorority Row from yeah. the same year. Not you know as tongue in cheek, but a really enjoyable slasher film. Um, if you enjoyed the remake, then I su- uh, suggest, then I recommend, <laughs> bodies, bodies, bodies. Yeah, very modern, uh, very sort of knowing, and quite feminist. Yeah, you know, very similar character traits.
0: Yeah. And, of course, if you are a fan of Ivor, you know, you've let us know through the polls, but talk to us some more about it. We are Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Trash on Twitter. I'm gas 92 on Letterboxd, GazMo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter.
1: I am Chris barker 823 on Instagram and Letterboxd.
0: And, again, the lineup is out there now for our Gasp Horror Festival. Tickets are out as well, so go check it out, Gasp Horror Fest, on all social media. That brings me to... Our best and our worst new releases of the month. Ooh. And I think for once, I might have a different answer to you. Oh, actually, I don't know. <sighs> There's one that I should mention for worst of the month. I don't want to. I'm going to put it in as an honourable mention. I've, we never have bad honourable mentions. We usually only have good honourable mentions. But this, fucking, this is a bad honourable mention. I'm going to go first of it.
1: Okay. And say,
0: I want to give a, a bad, honourable mention to my name is Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> oh, okay. No, we'll be doing a Glasgow Film Fest episode soon. And, you know, we love that we have the press passes. Uh, the lineup looks fantastic this year. But on the Glasgow Film Festival episodes, we don't talk about the negatives. We talk about our favourite films on the festival the highlights. And I simply just don't think we can go without mentioning this because this is bizarre it it was very strange <laughs> it wasn't what i was
1: expecting um it's, it's made yeah. by
0: um the the director uh what's his name uh mark cousins yeah prolific director for documentaries yeah um about alfred hitchcock you know had high hopes why would you think otherwise I shit you not, it has a voiceover from Alfred Hitchcock.
1: It has Alistair McGowan, who's a famous sort of impersonator here in the UK. And he's doing an Alfred Hitchcock voice. And it's it's, it's decent. It's a decent voice. It Hitchcock sounds like voice, him. But that's what was so bad. <laughs> but it's two hours. And it's told from, from the perspective of Hitchcock now. And it it would make a wonderful visual essay on YouTube <laughs> to describe, you know, Hitchcock's techniques and what he did yeah. in the films. It would be very interesting if it was half the length as well. Um, but the voice it gets way too much and it is kind of a bit like, yeah, I knew that. Like, yeah, I already knew that.
0: Yeah, we skip over all his controversies. He's made out to be a perfect person. But it, it's kind of, it's from the perspective of Hitchcock as a filmmaker.
1: Yeah. And he's like, what he did in his films to, but
0: like, moments were like, oh. He's just praising himself up. Like, yeah. I think it's a great shot I Look did. what I did with these three <laughs> bunnies. The three bunnies hide
1: <laughs> as if they're scared of the action. It's like, well, yeah, I'm not done. <laughs> like, I can see that.
0: But anyway, um, that was just an honourable mention. Sorry. It just had to be mentioned. (laughs) Going all in on it. My worst of the month. It is going to be different because you haven't seen this. My worst of the month is Unwelcome. Yes. (laughs) Um, A film that exists. It certainly does. It does exist. Um, The last half an hour of this film, it, it could have been making it into my best of the month. It is wildly entertaining. The creatures are adorable. Um, it has an iconic camp ending that I was absolutely there for. But everything asked before that, I don't know what the fuck the filmmakers were thinking. It's jarringly mean-spirited in places. There's a mentally disabled character who's made out to be a psychopath because he's mentally disabled in the film in 2023. Um, yeah, just not not very good until that final if you can find that final half an hour, watch that and you will have a great time it's what the rest of the film should have been but sadly the rest of it earns it a place on the worst of the month yeah, it's it's one of those films I decided I didn't want
1: to see you know, I'm, I'm getting older now, I need to make conscious decisions of how I want to spend my time <laughs> <laughs> uh, my worst of the month like oh controversial um i'm i'm stuck technically it it is Quantumania it is um i thought it was really shit and I, I didn't enjoy it i thought it was just way too long i didn't think it did anything
0: way too long it's literally the shortest mcu film released in ages yeah way too long it's 2 hours yeah, no, absolutely. I hated it. We've had MCU films as our best of the month for a few times on this podcast, actually. Um, And, you know, it's no secret, you know, we we enjoyed Marvel films. But, yeah, this just existed to set up Kang. That's yeah. it. In, in only, and Jonathan Major's fantastic. He's so good in it. Michelle Pfeiffer, I'm glad she's given... Oh, God, I sound like I'm doing the rap. Michelle Pfeiffer, I've, yeah. she's, she's given, you know... So much screen time. And that's wonderful. Great Michael for Douglas, you were all of us. I hope she got a fantastic payday. But the rest of the film was just filler. It was just filler around Kang appearing. And it could have just been one of the Marvel special presentations for an hour. And it would have done the same thing. I thought it was boring. Nothing happened.
1: I thought it was stupid. I didn't really get the gist of what it was trying to do. You know, I didn't really get... The essence of who any of the characters were, uh, which, which and I know you don't have to have huge, you know it's the third film I understand with Ant Man and Ant Man's been in lots of the films, but I still I want a bit of humanity in these yeah. things. Yeah, just just a bit. I mean, you hours of my life watching these you know, Marvel films. And I, I enjoy the action. I enjoy the silliness as well. But there's barely in any the, of that. But there's silliness in stuff like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy mm. that works. Uh, but if I'm investing all this time, I just need a little more substance. Yeah. I just need something more than just the same old thing. And I know people, sp- you know, I've said it many times that sometimes I feel like with the Marvel films, a lot of them can feel same ish. Now if you enjoy that, you know, if if you're if you enjoy pie and you're being served different flavours of pie, it's nice. Mm-hmm. You love pie. You know, you're gonna embrace it and you're always gonna enjoy pie. Um unless, you know, it's a shit pie. Like with dog poo in it and such. But you get to that point, where you're like, oh, okay, can I can I get a cheesecake now? I'm all pied out. But
0: this didn't even feel like it had. <laughs> this was a dog poo pie. But the, yeah, but this didn't even feel like it had the formula. It didn't feel like it had any structure. It didn't feel like it but had anything. Not... <laughs> just oh things, no, it was tight. Things you what just happened. A,
1: this this happened. Oh oh, we're all in danger. We're we're all yeah, in danger. It's got the Save but... the day. Oh, not not so fast. Not so fast, Kang's not gone. Oh, spoiler alert! You know, but it just—it just felt like everything just happened in this. But did you not think well, it was the it was the same formula? Like, like literally, like setting up a problem, and and I just felt that the middle bit took ages. the fucking first bit introduced took ages. characters and in, that didn't really go anywhere. When I say this
0: didn't have the same formula, what I mean is like, I shit you not, know, the first half of this film. Is literally characters bumping into each other saying, He's around here, or he's coming soon, he's doing it, he's doing it. like literally it is half a film of people talking about a character arriving. Mm. This is what I mean when I say it's filler. Half of the film's build up for a character arriving, half of the film's him being introduced. That's it. Yeah. It's just yeah. What was your other one? You said you didn't know you were stuck. Skin ring. Sk- oh wow. Skin him a or as I like to call it, paint-drying musical. Yes. Some of us found it to be a very disturbing film uh, that depicted sleep paralysis very well and is one of my honourable mentions.
1: Yeah. And everyone's entitled to their opinion. For the best of the month, though, I feel like we might agree. We Potentially. We've watched some fucking good films this month
0: at the cinema, haven't we? We have. Um... Yeah, and for me, it's going to Women Talking. Ooh! I'm a little surprised at that one. I completely agree. I completely
1: agree. I think Women Talking was a fantastic film. Uh, but I thought you would have given it to Marcel. The show very and close. It's
0: very, very close between the two. But Women Talking took my new current film of the year place. Um, it is... Absolutely gripping from start to finish, even if the film does exactly what it says on the tin it's women talking, yeah, for an hour and 45 minutes. That's what it is, yeah, absolutely. But it's got substance, yeah. What they're saying is yeah. important. It just doesn't, it's not
1: just a film where you know stuff exists, mm-hmm. like Quantum Romania, yeah. You know, it. there's a real substance to it, a real You know, interesting characters, it's got something to say, Mm -hmm. it's not beating you over the head with anything, it's more nuanced than that. Yeah. Oh, expertly acted, Mm -hmm. why it's not been nominated at the Oscars in the acting categories, but I mean, two very strong categories, Best Actress and uh, Best Supporting Actress. All here I presume. All here I presume. (laughs) Supporting and leading. Um... (laughs) You know, but, I mean, Jesse Buckley personally I, I thought was a, a real standout. But uh, Judith Ivy I thought was fantastic. Um, you know, Frances McDormand, who, spoiler alert, is barely in it. Claire Foy. Claire Foy, fantastic. Yeah, yeah I, um Rooney Mara. Yeah, I really, really love that film. And, you know, from the star of Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Polly, who I think has really been slept on for a yeah. long time, and I can't wait to uh, watch her other films. Yeah.
0: So, for honorable mentions, I have Slaughter Day. Yeah. Yeah. Any film that does not have stuntman but has a moving car fight scene where people are on the back of it deserves a mention. That film was fucking ridiculous. On
1: a $10 budget
0: yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> The Whale, which is getting a lot of mixed opinions, but I I thought it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I really appreciated it. I I thought it was fascinating and expertly acted. Fully here for the Renaissance. Not actually, really, not too dissimilar to um, women talking in its style. You know, the the singular sort of um,
0: setting and people talking, you know? Knock at the Cabin. You didn't see, but I did see. Uh, I thought it was really good. And uh, that Shyamalan's strongest in a long time. Yeah, I-, I wanted to see that. I was disappointed I missed it. Yeah, I miss it. it's still out.
1: Yeah.
0: Eternal Sunshine of the...
1: But I can't go see it now for the same reason I couldn't see it to begin with. <laughs> Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind.
0: Uh, which was very good.
1: Yeah. Um. Considering I was in in the year two thousand and four, I was like, "Oh, I really want to see that film." Yeah. <laughs> and it's taken me almost twenty years to actually see it. It was worth the wait. Yes. Punch drunk love was even better. <laughs> yeah. Surprise from Adam Sandler. Yeah. Definitely, I thought. Uh, Blue. And Jean. I love Emily Watson. Blue jeans, the one. Blue jeans, the one. Blue Jean is the one. Um, yeah, really,
0: a film I'm, that really you have to go and support at the cinema because it is rare that a film like this gets a big chain release like it has. Yeah,
1: absolutely. For me personally, and for someone uh, you know, a member of the LGBTQ plus community in the UK, I kind of didn't realize. You know, I'm I'm of a certain age. I didn't realise that the sort of Thatcherite laws mm. that discriminated against, yeah. you know, gay people, and particularly um, the one... I forget the name of Section 27? It's something, yeah. 28? Um, that prohibited teaching homosexuality yeah. in school. I was in school for w- when that clause was in place. yeah, I didn't realise it at the time, you know, but my teachers legally would not have been able to speak to me about being homosexual. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think this, you know, Blue Jean, a fantastic film that really puts that into the forefront and really what that meant. Yeah. Um, crazy to think of absolutely crazy that in my lifetime that, that was still in place mm-hmm. smooth talk, oh, I fucking loved smooth talk, you know we stand Laura Dern. um, uh, I thought it was so refreshing to see a wow it's it's a teen film, really, an eighties mm-hmm. teen film that plays completely against type, yeah, um. Whoa, really sticks with you afterwards yeah. as well, really does. And Laura Dern, as always, mm-hmm. fantastic from the start. Yeah. One of her early starring roles, and
0: she's always been a star. Yeah. And a major honourable mention for me is, of course, Marcel de Chalboschou's shoes on. Yes. Completely adorable gay icon, Marcel, and his gay icon grandmother.
1: Yeah, good old Isabella Rossellini as a shell. Uh, Yeah, making everyone uh, cry. Yeah, at the cinema.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just absolutely fantastic in every way possible. And that is it for this month's original versus remake episode.
1: Mentioned for the Fablemans. What's that this month? Oh
0: shit! You got me again. You got me again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The Fablemans, of course, deserves an honourable mention. Um. Yeah, absolutely. I liked it. You know. Any film
1: about science versus art, I've always appreciated. <laughs> no, I thought I thought um, Michelle Williams was high camp. She was high camp, yeah. High camp in that film. And I, I, d- I did like it. I did like it very much.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you enjoyed hearing us rambling on, as always, then rate, review, and subscribe on Just iTunes. Talking shit. Like and follow and ask us right on Spotify. Tuesday, we're going to be back with Slumber Party Massacre 2 and 3. Oh. Yep. Just when you thought it was safe to have a slumber party. And next month for Original Versus Remake, we will be discussing the crazies. Hmm. Very Treating us to another interest, good duo. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, I've seen the remake And it is very good And As we know The original is a classic Crazy This is crazy We'll be back Same time Same place on Tuesday
1: Bye